I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Buck Sexton, and you're listening to the Tudor Dixon Podcast, part of the Clay Travers and Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Welcome to the Tudor Dixon Podcast. I'm Tudor Dixon, and today we're talking about the junk we put into our bodies. And I know that some of you may want to check out talking about this because I also sometimes want to check out talking about this because I hate anyone telling me that I'm putting something bad in my bodies or worse yet, my body or my children's bodies. The idea that someone tells me that I'm feeding them bad stuff. But on the other side of that, I want to know. And so I thought you might want to know too. And I've been following someone on Twitter who has been talking quite a bit about this from a perspective of understanding from a, a historical job. And so I said, I've got to have him on. I've got to talk to him. This is the co-founder of True Med, Callie Means. Callie, I, I, before I got you on here, I was telling you, I've been watching what you're saying. And like I said, as a mom, I have guilt over what I put in my kids' lunches, what we're eating at dinner, whether or not we're going out to dinner. And so you've really opened my eyes to certain things like sugar. And I think that we consume a ton of sugar. So I thank you for coming on the program. And I want you to just kind of give me a background of how you got into talking about this. Uh, thanks so much, Tudor. And just so, so grateful to be, to be talking about this issue. I, you know, it's been a long time coming uh, on this for me, but I, I think it's the most important issue for, for America. I mean, what we're fueling our bodies with, I think how the system's rigged against us, it's the first order issue because it impacts our bodies and our brains, which impacts how we, how we look at the world. Um, but my story is I grew up in Washington, D.C., a, a good young conservative, worked for President Bush, worked for the Heritage Foundation, um, and really was on this, this kick about really appreciating and just implicitly trusting you know, all American industries, basically. I, I actually consulted mm -hmm. for big food, consulted for pharma, and espoused how, you know, American agricultural innovation, American pharmaceutical innovation was just, you know, the best in the world. And I would say, 
over the past 10 years, getting, getting out of politics, more into entrepreneurship, inspired by some personal family health tragedies. My sister, who is a top of her class Stanford Med School surgeon and, and, and dropped out of the medical system after seeing a lot of corruption and problems, um, really was, was, was brought to this, to this realization that with, with food particularly, we are not dealing with a free market. Uh, we are dealing with a rigged market. I, I think as a, as a conservative, I think this idea of personal responsibility, personal accountability means a lot to me. But there's something very wrong where 80% of American adults are now obese or overweight. And you know, if you want to talk about personal responsibility versus a rigged system, you just have to look at kids. Um, and this is just a stat I can't get my heads around. 25% of kids right now have prediabetes. You know, a generation ago, you would have wow. a diabetes Whoa, doctor. I did not know that. Yeah, prediabetes. So 50% of American adults have prediabetes or diabetes and 25% of kids, 15% of kids right now have fatty liver disease. This is a condition that, uh, you know, a, a doctor wouldn't see you know, among anyone that's not an elderly alcoholic, now it's 15% of kids. And then, of course, 45% of kids right now, you go into any classroom. And I think this is why a lot of people waking up to this issue and it's becoming a big issue and that's resonating a lot is parents are very concerned. There's something there's something very off happening with when you look at close to 50% of kids being overweight or obese. And, 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 and it's been a progression for me, but, but, but I don't think Americans particularly you know, parents with their children are systematically trying to shorten, you know, their lives and, and, and miss their kids' weddings. Well, I and, think that's so important to, to talk yeah. about because I've had some young people that have said, oh, these parents just don't care. And I think it's right. happened so fast. So I will say that right. growing up, I was in classrooms where we had, you know, maybe one kid that suffered being overweight, but it was really pretty rare. And then I think it was shocking to me when my kids went into kindergarten, because I remember coming home and saying to my husband, the kids, so many of the kids are overweight. It was shocking to me because it seemed like there's something else going on here. And you've seen, it seems like you've identified what's going on, those brands that we trust. And I think it's interesting. We're so used to big pharma. I haven't really thought about big food, but there is a lot that goes in behind the food companies being allowed to market to our kids, to put this on the, in the lunchroom at school. Talk a little bit about how this is getting to our kids without really us realizing how bad it is. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I very rarely in my life look to Europe as a model of much, but, but I do think mm. it's notable, right? That the U.S. and New Zealand are the only countries in the world that allow pharmaceutical ads. And then almost every other developed country in the world does not and has limits on, on food ads, which I, I really do consider sugar a, a highly addictive drug that we're pushing on children. Um, we have rampant food ads. The, the number one advertiser for news networks in the country is pharma. The number one advertiser for children's networks for Nickelodeon, the Disney Channel is food. Um, and wow. you have heavy lobbying from Viacom, which owns Nickelodeon and the other uh, children's networks to the FTC to allow unfettered. It is shocking. Um, and yeah, and this is, this is, I think something people are waking up to that's very important to understand. There is a devil's bargain between food and pharma. Um, what's happening and this, this really, when you think about it, shouldn't be too surprising, but this is kind of a radical thought for the medical industry. You know, literally you have leading doctors, the NIH leading journalists saying it's confusing why there's epidemics of childhood obesity. It's actually not complicated. It's because of food. 
Um, it's because sugar consumption, that's number one, has gone up 100x in 100 years. You know, parents, and, and, and I, I come at this from, with a new child, you know, you might hear him in the background here. We've, we've got a one-year-old. And looking at the world he's going into, this decks are stacked against these kids, even for really well-meaning parents. Um, it's 100 times more sugar than we ate 100 years ago. And I think criminally, what's happening is we subsidize that. Uh, from food stamps, which 15% of kids rely on for nutrition, the number one item bought is soda. 75% of, of food stamp funding goes to highly processed food, sugar-laden foods. That's not no other country does that. Um, I, you know, some of the early tweets that that got some attention. I worked for Coke, trying to rig the system to make sure that uh, food stamps continued paying for Coke. Again, it's the number one item purchased. 10% of all food stamp SNAP funding goes to sugary drinks. I mean, this is criminal. We're actually funding metabolic dysfunction of our children, which is leading to trillions of dollars of downstream health impacts, not to mention the fact that 90% of grain subsidies and, and agriculture subsidies wholly go to grain, sugar, which turns into high fructose corn syrup, basically the ingredients of highly processed food and only 0.4% of our agriculture subsidies go to fruits and vegetables. That's totally because of a rig system. We give more as a government. Well, I, I think it, it. I think it goes beyond even what you're saying because my kids will watch YouTube and then they'll say, "Oh, I, mom, we have to go to Starbucks and we have to get this drink, and it's filled with all of these syrups." And they will list off to me. Right. There is very little actual drink in this. It is. Oh. all sugar and they're and it's just pushed on them and it's not so much that they want that it's that it's exciting someone else is doing it they want to be like this influencer that they've seen they want to be like everybody else and so food has become this this way to be like everybody else and you want to take a picture with it and you want to post it and you want to show your friends like what i got food has become an obsession yeah and, and i think the, the criminal element it's one of the largest industries in the world you have very, very smart people working at food companies. And I, I mean this very literally. Food has been weaponized, um, you know, increasingly. Mm. And, and again, this shouldn't be too shocking, but it, but it's worth knowing. Um, brain scans of, of kids on sugar, the dopamine areas of the brain, it is no different than illicit drugs. Um, you know, there's, a, there's an addictive dopamine response. And I think throughout American history, throughout American medical history, just because something's been normalized does not mean we've completely lost our way. Of course, doctors used to smoke in the office in the 50s. Like th this, this is, in my opinion, the biggest issue in the world that we have gotten kids completely addicted through rampant marketing. And the fact that this is so available, they, they, they literally have a dopamine addiction starting at one or two years old when you look at kids' birthday parties. Um, and then in a way, and th this is kind of my mm -hmm. point, in a way, this kind of makes sense from the food industry's perspective, right? The food industry wants to make food uh, cheaper and more addictive. Um, and, and, and the big unholy trinity of ingredients, just, just, to, just to lay that out, is added sugar, as we talked about. Added sugar, processed sugar, really is an invention of the past 120 years. Our body's not made to handle this. Um, additionally, the main source of American fats now, which are inflammatory and have addictive qualities, is, are called seed oils. Those were invented by John Rockefeller in the early 1900s as an industrial byproduct to oil production. Uh, it's the number one source of American wow. fats now. It didn't exist for in 120 years. And then processed grains. So highly processed grains actually were created 
after 1900, just in the past 120 years. The processing is taking the fiber off. You know, for almost all of human history, it was whole grains. The whole grain is the fiber which blunts the glucose impact of the rest of the grain. Now the processing takes that fiber off. These are frankenfoods robbed of nutritional value that actually are hidden sugar and highly addictive too. So 75% of the American diet right now is ultra processed food, which basically those three ingredients are the core ingredients for added sugar, highly processed grains, and seed oils. If you look at any package, you'd be shocked at what American ingenuity can do with those ingredients, but they're addictive. Um, so in a way- right, so, uh, so you can see as a mom- This is very intimidating for me because you're telling me things that I don't, I don't understand how to get away from it, to be honest. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hearing what you're saying and it just makes me panic because I think I use that. I mean, my kids eat food dyes, my kids eat sugar. They, they, we're getting the thing that's easy to put in the lunch. I mean, they have fruits and vegetables every day too, but there's, uh, uh, what else am I putting in there that I don't even know? So I think this has got, there's, there's some top down solutions, but I think there is a bottoms up revolution happening. I mean, you know, from conservative media to independent media, the mainstream media, unfortunately, isn't talking about this because their number one uh, advertiser is pharma, which we can get into. And food is a big one. But but independent media, left, right, everyone's talking about this. Tucker Carlson, we're actually talking regularly, and he's doing regular segments on sugar, which I never would have expected, you know, from, from, from everyone, Glenn Beck. So, so it's just like, you know, it's so, so grateful you're talking about this. There's something resonating with audiences and with parents and I think this is the trend we need to raise. And, and as far as what parents could do, this is this is how I would explain it. I think you, you've got to trust your own judgment first and foremost. Um, I, I think this is where it gets to the devil's bargain, where we're getting sick because of food. But we have to understand one simple fact is that the medical system has been silent about this fact. We have to understand the medical system is not incentivized for us to be healthy. They're incentivized for patients to be sicker for longer periods of time, but not die. The 95% of costs in the medical system are driven by management of chronic conditions. And what happens when when those 25% of kids who have prediabetes, 99% of people with prediabetes have at least one other comorbidity, one other chronic condition. 80% of people with diabetes have at least three. So when you have this wow. metabolic dysfunction, obesity, starting in childhood now, those are, those are kids that are in the system, inevitably not learning how to eat better or move better, but just are going to be on, you know, uh, high blood pressure medications. You know, millions of kids are on stats now, um, metformin, you know, SSRIs inevitably, 15% of kids are on ADD medication, which is highly related to all this. So, so you've got, it's not atypical when you go to a high school that that most of the children there are on multiple treatment plans. These are all related to the same thing. They're all related to food, but we've segmented everything. So you're being funneled into a situation where there's complete actual silence where, you know, my sister who goes, you know, to Stanford med school and brings up a dietary intervention, you know, when she's treating someone with with a migraine, she's told she's reprimanded. She's reprimanded to, and said by her attending surgeon at Stanford that she didn't go to dietary school, that, 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 that talking wow. about diet interventions and, and, and exercise, that's how doctors are trained because they profit off, they, they wash their hands of why everyone's getting sick and they, they treat you once you're sick. And I just real quick, you know, when you get to kids, what we've also had is a shameful commingling of food and, and medicine. The Coca-Cola I oversaw, I saw this when I was working for them, has donated millions of dollars to the American Academy of Pediatrics. 
The American wow. Diabetes Association has accepted millions of dollars from Coke. And there's no statement about that. The American Diabetes Association uh, several years ago recommended small cans of Coke as a good move for diabetics. So you've had a complete moral lapse where not only are, they, are, are the medical institutions silent on food being the issue, they're actually partnering. You know, the majority, the majority of pediatric wards in, in the United States to this day have full strength sugar Coke of vending machines, which is a huge, you know, there's just, there's very little discussion of this because the system makes money when people are sick. And the message for parents is to understand this um, and to, to, to question when the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying the first thing your kids should eat is processed grains. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have a friend who calls it sick care instead of health care because she says this yeah. is not we shouldn't be calling it health care when it's not making you healthy. And I think this resonates with me. I'm a person who was diagnosed with breast cancer at 38, no cancer in my family, no history of breast cancer. And everybody kept saying sugar, sugar kept coming right. up, sugar, sugar, sugar. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, should I go back? I mean, could I, if I went back, could I have avoided it? And what can I do to 
help my kids avoid it. But instead of any companies out there trying to help you to even, even I'll say, even when I had cancer, trying to find a diet that is for cancer patients, right. it's very challenging to find someone who will even talk to you about how you should eat as a cancer patient. Cause they're like, no, 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 no. Let's do the, the healthcare part of it and go to big pharma. And then this latest development where we have people that are taking Ozempic to lose weight and this right. becomes, and, and I'm telling you, even people in my family have called sure. and said, I'm going to get on this. And I, and I say this, you have to be on the rest of your life. Do you even right. know what the side effects are? Do you, are you so desperate for that quick fix? And I think that yeah. that is true. So many people are so willing that now they came out and said, they're going to do it to kids. Yep. Yep. 12 years and up. Well, a couple, a couple of things here. And, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that story about breast cancer and um, and cancer is a real reason I got into this. My mom um, uh, was one of the fifty you know fifty percent of Americans who dealt with prediabetes and uh, had blood sugar dysregulation and, and insulin resistance, and uh, she abruptly um, had had a pain in her side in two thousand twenty one. Uh, went to the doctor, realized she had stage four pancreatic cancer, and uh, mm. was perfectly healthy before died uh, eleven days later, and. That's what really inspired my sister and I on this mission because, uh, again, at Stanford Hospital, um, we were told by the head of oncology that this was unlucky. And I have a very simple message, um, and this should be shouted from the rooftops of every medical institution. Uh, cancer isn't random to a large degree. Uh, the, the, the interconnectedness between breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, other leading forms of cancer, and metabolic dysfunction, which is tied to food, um, inevitably, you know, years before, if, if, if your doctor, you know, really analyzed your fasting glucose and, and other biomarkers, there's warning signs to these things. And, and, and I, I will say, you know, a large degree of, of breast cancer, and this, this is, this is, this is published widely. Um, it's not talked about, but it, but it's, it's not controversial is highly preventable. Um, cancer is a preventable, uh, condition to most degrees, but we spend 50 times more on curing it once somebody gets it than preventing it. It's like, you know, forest But how do we it's get to the, how do we get to the preventing? Because I, I, first of all, I am so sorry about your mom. I lost my dad to pancreatic cancer in June. So oh, I know, I mean, and that it, it's a death sentence. The minute you hear and and right. the and the crazy thing is that my grandmother, his mother died of pancreatic cancer and they said no connection. And I, I will tell you that interestingly, my grandmother had a total Coke obsession, a Coca-Cola mm. obsession. She drank a Coca-Cola, several Coca-Colas every single day. Yeah. And they, there was one doctor that said, I mean, it may have been related to the sugary drinks that she drank, but you're telling me right now, which I, I have to say, I think that there are probably so many cancer patients like me that are listening to you and saying, but how do I get there? Because I go every six months. They don't take my blood. They don't do any tests. They go, oh, yeah, you look OK. Well, I looked OK when I had cancer. No one would have known by looking at me that I had cancer. So how do you get these these pre-tests done? Where do you well, go? Yeah, knowledge is knowledge is power. So, 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 so you've got to really understand your blood test. My sister and I are actually writing a, a book right now where we're really analyzing the, the you know, you go and you get the fasting insulin, you get the triglycerides, you get the HDL. Nobody understands what that actually means. These are like warning signs of your cells malfunctioning. And, and, and there's basically an algorithm where it's like, if you're over a certain level, they'll prescribe a statin, prescribe metformin, you know, 40% of men over 40 are just boom, statin. 
um, way, way before the, the recommended levels. There, there's signs of brewing metabolic dysfunction when your doctor will say, oh, you're normal. Um, you've really got, and there's blogs on this, there's, but you've got to be curious about your blood tests. And then I'd highly recommend uh, going and you can go to the functional medicine doctor website, but, but like, but like functional medicine doctors can do a whole host of many other tests and be much more knowledgeable to really giving you a picture of what these tests actually mean for the metabolic dysfunction brewing with your, in your body. You know, my sister read, who's, who's now a metabolic health expert and a physician read my test two years ago when the doctor said all my cholesterol levels were fine. And she actually explained to me how I'm imminently, you know, at risk for metabolic dysfunction and will live a more painful, shorter life and actually explain that to me, that was a big motivator for me. Um, and I think, yeah. I think people want to be healthy. Uh, my mentor and uh, our, our investor and in our company, Dr. Mark Hyman, who's written 14 New York Times bestselling books. Um, uh, he, he's been doing a lot of the media cir circuit on this recently. He's a hero. Uh, he has a new company called Function Health, just as a very tactical recommendation, Function Health, which basically brings this, you know, boutique functional medicine experience into tries to democratize that. It's very low price. Uh, you just go to your a local blood place and it does over 100 biomarkers and really gives you a very systematic. So I think knowledge is power. I do think biowearables are very important. We're early stage. But Tudor in, in in twenty states in the United States. What today, is bio wearables? What are you? What bio is that? wearables are you know with the early stage with like you know the Apple Watch and the sleep monitors. My sister started a company called Levels Health, which prescribes a CGM, a continuous glucose monitor, so you can actually see oh, yeah. what your glucose levels are as you're eating. You know, I thought my oatmeal every morning was very healthy, but it was shooting me up to diabetic levels. I realized that if I slept for six hours, I'd actually have pre-diabetic levels of, of glucose, whereas I slept eight hours, I'd manage it much better. You actually can arm yourself with more information. I think there's more and more of these things coming online. I think, I think we're early, but I think over you know, the next 10 years, we're actually going to have you know, a, a real understanding of what's going on in our body. I, I was just going to say, you know, in, in 20 U.S. states to this day, patients don't even legally own their medical records. There is a systematic effort by the medical system to basically keep patients in the dark. And it's shameful because, you know, we're being told to trust the science and trust the medical system hmm, when yeah. it's been a systematic failure. And, and just we're going all over the place. But one point I just want to make for, for patients, because I think we're gaslighted a little bit. It, and this just gets into kind of how we should all think about it. I think this was me a while ago, right? It's like, well, the, the American medical system's, you know, great. It's, it's produced a lot of miracles. Life expects he's gone up. I really would draw a differentiation. Any miracle, medical miracle we can think about was, you, was most likely started before 1960, and it's for an acute issue, something that would kill us imminently. You know, an antibiotic for infection, emergency surgical procedures for like an appendix, you know, complicated childbirth interventions, which are very important, you know, things like that. We've actually shifted all, almost all medical to chronic conditions, which has been a disaster. You know, the more statins we prescribe, the more heart disease goes up. The more metformin we prescribe, the more diabetes goes up. The more SSRIs we prescribe, the more you know depression has been skyrocketing. Um, going well, back, so yeah. that I want to ask about because I, I have folks in my family who are on SSRIs who have sure. experienced that 
that moment where if you, you skip a dose, you end up in a very dark place. And yeah. I think it's, it's a lot of people who don't deal with this. They don't understand the impacts of this on your brain and, and how it can trick your mind. And I'm just wondering when we, as we see this violence, as we see some of these people that seem to break and do something yeah. that shouldn't we have some knowledge of whether or not this goes back to big pharma? Oh, a disordinate of, of, you know, there's huge correlations between violent, violent folks and SSRIs. SSRIs are, are it's not controversial. They, they increase uh, aggressive behavior. They increase suicidal ideation. Um, so I'm not going to make a blank, blanket statement about SSRIs categorically being wrong. But right now, 25% of women in the United States, adult women, are on an SSRI. Uh, it's the most prescribed drug in the country. It's a massive societal factor. Um, and and I, I would liken it just to tie it a little bit to Ozempic. These drugs that are lifetime treatments that don't actually mm. cure the problem, that, like there's no study saying, you know, once you go, as you said, once you go, it's actually problematic once you go off of these drugs. They're not curing anything. They're, they're essentially numbing. And same with Ozempic, which now we're, there's a full court press to prescribe to 80% of adults who are overweight or obese. You know, it's a huge problem once you go off. Um, the, you know, I think we're almost dealing, and I think this Ozempic debate I've talked about, which really represents this dynamic with, with a lot of chronic disease cures, we almost, I think it's a spiritual reckoning that we have right now where mm. we are like fundamentally like disaggregated from our bodies. You know, we are uh, sleeping three hours less than we did a hundred years ago. You know, sedentary behavior right now, 80% of 21 year olds aren't eligible to, 21 year old males aren't eligible to join the military because they're because of their fitness. Um, you know, we're putting kids in, you know, sedentary environments. Um, we're feeding ourselves absolute crap. <laughs> I mean, like, like yeah. th that shouldn't be, but, but it's, and, and then it's like the, these miracle cures and none of the miracle cures have worked. Um, you know, with Ozempic specifically, it's a great case study because just taking the merits of the drug itself, um, there's heavy lobbying of the FDA. The FDA panel that actually recommended Ozempic is literally doctors that are paid by the maker of Ozempic. There's not conflict of interest laws, even for the panels that create the guidelines at the FDA or NIH guidelines. So you literally have conflicted doctors, obesity medicine doctors who would profit greatly from having this lifetime treatment that they can give patients, right? And they created a, a, a test for this drug where it did not take into account what type of fat you were losing. It's now coming out that, that the majority of the fat being lost in Ozempic is actually muscle mass where people are actually gaining fat. So Ozempic is actually wow. causing people to lose weight. Dr. Atiyah is pointing this out. This is, this is actually astounding. I mean, I, I actually think the drug's going to be recalled. But, but, but literally, people wow. are losing weight but getting fatter. Uh, that is what the data is showing because muscle mass is being decimated by Ozempic and not to get too in the weeds here, but we talk about metabolic dysfunction, diabetes, which 50% of American pre-diabetic diabetic. muscles are the glucose sponge. Like if you, if your muscle contracts, you're absolutely more prone to metabolic dysfunction. And that's the problem with all these hacks, right? Like, like almost like spiritually in America, lunging for these hacks and not have and 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 frankly falling for a rigged debate where we have TikTok influencers paid by food companies saying it's racist to you know talk about someone's yeah. weight we're being kind of rigged here like we got to get just 
as a society, culturally, we've got to get back to basics where we're thinking about a child, thinking about their body, thinking about their brain, and asking the basics that grandma knew about, asking about how we can encourage good sleep habits, encourage them to eat better, uh, you know, encourage them to move. It's like if we don't don't shift the four trillion dollars of healthcare from a sick care system to that. And it's not this fluffy preventative thing. Like 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 exercising and eating correctly is, is also the best way to pre- to to reverse once you have a condition. You can reverse diabetes. So you we can talk- reverse it. Yeah. Yes. You you can you can you can absolutely reverse diabetes from food interventions. There's groundbreaking research. We've talked about cancer, how it's not random. Diabetes. Uh, excuse me. Alzheimer's is now called type three diabetes. There's. I there's, saw there's that. That was shocking research. to me. And you won't have an Alzheimer's doctor just as the cancer doctors. They're not going to explain this to you. But this is astounding research coming out. And, you know, there's protocols now to actually, you know, dietary interventions and fitness interventions that actually have been shown to reverse dementia, which which nobody thought was possible. So, so, you know, again, that's not profitable. I I think the last thing I just mentioned, a lot of my friends in there you know, 30s, 40s are are facing autoimmune conditions, which are skyrocketing, like Crohn's disease and, and things like that. Yes. You know, the standard of care for that is when you have an autoimmune condition, come into the come into the office, you know, every week, every two weeks, the rest of your life to get a injection. Um, people can transform their lives through dietary interventions. I, I've had friends with Crohn's disease who completely ignored the medical system, you know, really researched, read went down the rabbit hole on books and they say they never but felt they have in their to lives. do it. It's so hard. It's so hard if you have yep. to do it. I mean, I'm not making excuses, but I think that it is, we are a society that wants that quick fix. And then once they get you, I mean, you're talking about this weekly visit. It's yeah. the same with any type of anxiety, depression, medication. Right. And I'm not saying that that those are not helpful, but I think it's pushed so heavily that in certain cases, like in our system, you have to see the, the psychologist every week or every two weeks. And then the psychiatrist is simply a, prescri- a prescriber. What? They don't talk to you. You see them once it's a month. For them. So now yeah. you, it, so it's like at least three appointments every month that you have definitely scheduled once you're on a medication. Oh, no, Zimpic now, you're going to have to see the obesity doctor, you know, to get the re-prescriptions. It, it's, it's a beautiful system for, for the system. I, here, here's what I'd say to, to, to for the audience is, is I, I think there's been this cynicism about the American patient that we've almost bought, that, that, that kind of people are lazy, people kind of want. I, I don't think people have gotten systematically lazier in the past you know, 40 years with right. all these chronic conditions. So, so I think, you know, getting back to like, like, I, I think it does start with our mindset and, and we have not, we don't have systematically a death wish as a country. We haven't gotten lazier. I think Americans actually do um, want to be to healthy. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just give a quick story. Um, you know, my mom, when she had terminal cancer, we were, you know, pushed into a bunch of interventions that would have kept her in the COVID where we wouldn't be able to see her. You know, we had, thankfully, my sister, who's new oncologist at Stanford, who cried to her about being mm. pushed into doing surgeries that weren't necessary. Um, this is rampant throughout hospitals. <laughs> um, th- I think doctors actually do know that something's very wrong. They got in for the right reasons, but, you know, patients aren't getting better. But but thankfully, with my mom, we had this, we had the wherewithal to say, no, we're, we're going to go against the oncologist's advice. You know, with our pediatrician now, um, who's saying literally they're giving us American Academy of Pediatrics dietary recommendations that basically recommend processed food. I'm saying no to that. I, I actually think 
realizing that when it comes to chronic conditions, preventing specifically, um, the doctor should not, the medical system should not get the benefit of the doubt. You know, everyone comes on these shows and say, well, we'll consult your doctor. If you're trying to prevent diabetes, reverse you know, obesity, heart disease, you know, thinking about your children, their chronic conditions, do, you have to take things into your own hands. So that's the bottoms up revolution. I am somewhat optimistic. A lot of people are, you know, wearing the wearables. A lot of people are listening, everyone from you to, to Joe Rogan, to health podcasts, to the leading books in the country. Now we're talking about this issue. So I do think there's an appetite for people to wake up. What we have to eventually do, and I am meeting with a number of, of members of Congress, and there does seem to be a lot of appetite for this, where the rubber hits the road at a top-down perspective is that we have to shift the incentives of healthcare to stop being incentivized for people to be sick. That is the problem. I think whenever you hear politicians talking about slightly reforming like Medicare Part D or, or this or that, we have to actually, we do need some radical rethinking because every single institution, pharma companies, insurance companies are actually incentivized for costs to go up, um, hospitals, medical schools, everyone wins when more patients are sick, which is exactly what is happening. Hmm. Healthcare is the largest and the fastest growing industry in the United States producing worse outcomes. It's going to bankrupt our country. Why I'm optimistic is because there's a bottoms up revolution, which we're talking about right now. And mathematically, this can't go on. We, we are going to become, you know, a fat, depressed, infertile, we're increasingly getting infertile um, and sick population with healthcare yeah. costs literally bankrupting, you know, as, as, as an economic and fiscal conservatives, th we spend multiples more to care for diabetes than the defense department. Like, the, like what's, what's bankrupting wow. our country, what's bankrupting the country. It's not even close. Like this, the, the, the preventable metabolic dysfunction tied to food. That is it. Like that is why the American experiment is going to fail. So I actually think it almost, and the only way, is, is to say, how do we incentivize institutions of health to be healthy? And, and then it has to get to, and again, I thought this would sound fluffy years ago, but I really do think this has to be the answer. It's kind of self-evident. We have to think about our food system. We have to think about how do we create a food system, You know, getting, getting to what parents should feed their kids. Think about what humans have evolutionarily been designed to eat for thousands, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. Like it's whole food. It's not complicated. Let's take a quick commercial break. We'll continue next on the Tudor Dixon podcast. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think just talking to you, though, I actually, a week ago, I went out to lunch with a girlfriend and she said, you know, I've got this glucose monitor and I had never, I mean, maybe I'm living in a cave. I don't know. I'd never heard of this before. People that don't have diabetes wearing this to see what is triggering. And she said, I'm at risk. She'd done this. She said, I'm at risk for this and this. Mm -hmm. And so I, I had this, she said, I had it a couple years ago. And then I stopped during COVID and she said, I went to my doctor and and I asked them for one of these wearables and they said, well, you don't have diabetes. We're no way we, and they refused to give her one. So she had to find a different kind of doctor. Well, what you were talking, what did you call this? Yeah. So my sister had this, the same experience, you know, our, basically our glucose levels are the Rosetta stone, like, like, like truly, if you see hmm. those a little bit of whack, you can take preemptive action to dramatically lower your chance of getting breast cancer and other metabolic conditions down the road. So my sister, you know, left the medical system, started a company called Levels Health. So Levels Health uh, has prescribed hundreds of thousands of, uh, of glucose uh, monitors uh, through a telehealth process. It is absolutely like criminal that... Most doctors will say, well, you don't need this. You're, let's think about just yeah. with that statement. It's like you're not diabetic. There's no medical meaning to diabetes. It's an arbitrary, that's an arbitrary number along glucose. So you say it's not reversible. There's, there's, no, there's nothing that happens physiologically when you get to the glucose, uh, blood glucose level of diabetes. It's just, it's just arbitrary. Um, we're all on a spectrum of blood sugar dysregulation. If you took anyone's blood, right, 93% of Americans would have one biomarker in their blood of metabolic uh, dysregulation right now. Um, we're, we're systematically metabolically dysfunctional because of food, which is the root of almost every disease. It's the root of eight of the 10 leading killers of Americans. So, so having a closed loop and actually understanding that, you, you might learn that you actually have some slightly elevated just standing glucose levels. You also might learn, as I did, that specific foods and actions impact your glucose. These are, these are literally like from a top-down human competitiveness public policy standpoint, 
everyone should be prescribed a, a, a CGM and being encouraged to understand. So anyway, that, that's what my sister's company, Levels Health, um, is solving. And I'd highly encourage you, you could just go on Levels Health and, and, and get a CGM right away. And there's a lot of great content. She, she's Dr. Casey Mean. She, she's, she's speaking out about this. Um, my company, I think another way to solve it is, and what I talked about, we've got to shift money from drugs to, to food. Um, what I found is that you can actually uh, use uh, tax advantage medical spending, HSA, FSA. You can actually uh, buy food mm. just as you would buy a drug with tax advantage really? money. Yeah. So, so according to the IRS, even though uh, pharma, you know, working for them and seeing this, that they, they, you know, they, they, they spend five times more on lobbying than the oil industry. Um, they've rigged every health law, but they can't write in the law that a medical expense is a, you know, manufactured pill created by Pfizer. The definition of medicine is something a doctor says is useful in preventing or reversing a condition. And that can be food. <laughs> and if a doctor substantiates in the note that uh, eating a certain dietary meal, and it gets to your point, I think a lot of Americans just want to know what to do. If a doctor actually writes that yeah. in a note um, and how that could be useful to preventing you know, prediabetes, if that's what your CGM is showing, then you can actually buy food tax-free with your HSA, FSA accounts, which I think is a good policy instrument. You can buy your gym membership. Um, and what we're doing and why I'm kind of on the warpath on this is that I will put a, a food intervention and regular exercise up against a statin, metformin, even an SSRI. 150 minutes of exercise a week for three months is clinically proven to lower depression more effectively with less side effects than the leading SSRI. Nobody knows that. Hmm. Nobody's told that. So we're writing that in notes through a telehealth process, too, and enabling folks to, uh, if they're qualified to purchase food, exercise supplements, things like that, uh, you know, tax-free, pre-income tax, um, which starts leveling the playing field of this rig system where the ingredients of a Coca-Cola, you know, are so subsidized that a Coke at a store is less expensive than a water because there's so much That's subsidized true. ingredients from a rig system. We're trying to level that playing field. Wow. This yeah. has been fascinating. I am so glad that you agreed to come on and talk on the podcast today Thank because so I much. learned so much. And okay. I know that people listening will go to True Med. They'll go to Levels Health. We're going to check it out because it is so important. It really is. I mean, as we see everybody in our families getting sick, because it's true, everybody has somebody that they've seen go through this. And I think it really has awakened us to say, what can we do to change? And you are offering that when you write the book, you got to come back. Oh, we'd love to. We'd love to. And I'm so grateful again that we're talking about it. And it's, again, it's my journey as a parent. I think we're all making mistakes, but just learning. I think that's what's great about life. And just the one other thing I'd close with, I'm very excited about our book, but um, if people are interested in this, it's just being curious. I think Dr. Mark Hyman, um, going through some of his books, Dr. Robert Lustig, I mean, I, I've talked to so many people just kind of going down the rabbit hole. To me, it's a key to happiness is just learning about this stuff and learning about your body and being curious about what your kids are eating. And I just, uh, just grateful to talk about it. Well, you made me curious because I saw your post on Twitter. So how can other people follow you on Twitter? Yeah. So Callie means on Twitter and, uh, it's <laughs> never, never been the biggest Twitter fan, but I'll tell you the past six months has been, um, really, really fulfilling. Uh, actually just, just literally probably 
a thousand or more parents. I think parents or even people that are parents, but I think there's really uh, people that are concerned about future generations, their parents out their health. It's been, it's been amazing. So I'm trying to expose um, this, this stuff and, and, and share what I've learned. So Cali means, and then my company's truemed.com and yeah, not, not, not trying to, to pitch, pitch my thing too much, but, um, but it is, it is the result of, um, of really thinking deeply about this and trying to change incentives and, and, and enable people to save on healthy food. Um, so truemed.com we're launching soon. And, uh, yeah, those are the two big ones. Well, thank you, Callie yeah, Means. You've you. been wonderful. You allow us to be vulnerable about this. And I think that's why so many people are drawn to what you're doing. And you just are, you can hear the passion in your voice. Thank you. I am so grateful to you because honestly, it's something that I didn't know. I didn't know how to talk about. I mean, it really has been, it's one of those things where you see, you can physically see kids in the classroom. You can see your own kids changing in, right. in shape and size and say to yourself, what am I doing? And so this was very important to me. Thank you, Tudor. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us on the Tudor Dixon podcast for this episode, as always, or others go to TudorDixonPodcast.com and you can subscribe right there. Make sure you join us for the next podcast. Have a great day. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.